This is attorney Franz Borkart, and I'm here with attorney Richard Sprinkle for another episode of Legally Unfiltered. Legally Unfiltered is a legal podcast that discusses issues in the media and issues that affect your life. Today's episode of Legally Unfiltered deals with Title IX. And Richard, when I say Title IX, what I'm really talking about is sexual assault, sexual violence that happens on college campuses, okay? Let's start with the landscape. So Title IX addresses what we call an access to education, okay? It is it is a civil rights model. And we are at the nexus between two different, two different administrations. And when I say that, I mean the way we used to do stuff and the way we may start doing things, okay? So the, the education department head, Betsy DeVoe, has announced some potential changes. She's laid it out, okay? Where are we currently? Currently, it is a system to where if you're accused of sexual assaults or, or violence, there are certain mechanisms that you don't get and there's certain mechanisms that go in. For example, currently, everybody on campus is virtually that works for the university is virtually a mandatory reporter. So if you tell somebody right now, they have to report it under the current, under the current model. This is the unchanged former administration model. Um, the victim currently doesn't get a say in the adjudication process. So if you're accused, the victim doesn't get a say in how that, what the penalty of that of that accused crime or that accused assault is. Um, location can be anywhere on campus, off campus. There's no there's no um, mandate that it is on the university campus. So if it's off campus at a apartment complex, it's fair game. Um, there is very limited due process rights for the accused. Uh, and by due process rights, I mean, folks, a right to a fair and impartial balanced hearing where they can confront their accusers, where they can collect evidence and they can defend themselves. Um, the standard of proof right now is preponderance of evidence. It is the lowest of all evidentiary standards of proof um, in our justice system. Now, it's important to note at the onset that Title IX violations are not "quote unquote" criminal justice violations. However, inevitably, when you're talking about sexual assault, you're talking about rape, you're talking about sexual violence. Inevitably, there is a collateral crossover with regard to those allegations. And what do I mean by that? If you're accused of a crime in the criminal justice system, you have a right to remain silent. Anything you say or do. And furtherance of that accused crime can be used against you. Good old-fashioned Miranda rights, right? Well, you don't you don't have the luxury of those rights over in the Title IX proceedings. So you can you can say I'm not saying anything. I'm exercising my right to remain silent. And what happens is there are certain presumptions that arise as a result of that. Just like in our civil system, that does not help someone who has been uh, accused of sexual assault or right. violence so, or anything. So if I have a client that's accused of rape and and let's say hypothetically it's a it's a not that we didn't have sex it's a question of consent. My client says she consented the victim says it wasn't consensual. In a criminal forum I may advise my client in a criminal justice forum forum and arena at the onset until I have all the evidence I may advise my client to remain silent to not make any statements. And that may mean in the Title IX proceeding, hurting themselves. Now, we, we live in a university town, folks, so we see it on regular that, that if they're accused of something in the university setting, anything they tell, by the way, anything they tell the university under Title IX can be given 
to the prosecuting entities. It will be. Right. Yeah. And it's infuriating because on the one hand, you, you don't want your client, your accused individual being kicked out of school for remaining quiet and sitting on their hands, but anything they say can be used against them and you don't have a right currently to discovery. So you're, it's a one-sided game at this point. And I hate to say that, but you, you have an accuser where you don't get what they're accusing you of fully. And it's like, it's like the old, the old video of a, of a law enforcement officer looking at an accused saying, do you know why you're here, son? And being quiet. Well, you don't know what you're really being accused of. Okay. So that's the old model, Richard. What the new administration is proposing, what the Trump administration is proposing through the education department is one, to restore cross-examination, cross-examination rights in these Title IX hearings. It would allow for direct questioning of the accused. Okay. Um, there's risk involved in this, of course. Um, the proposal would allow schools to continue their use of the quote-unquote single investigator model. Right now, under the current system or regime, a single investigator is judge, jury, and executioner. Okay. Now there are appeal levels to this, right? If if your if your frontline individual that's investigating makes a de- decision, you can appeal that decision up upward. Um, so that single investigation model would still stay in place. Um, there are some schools that don't use that single investigation model. So the fear is that these reforms will get those schools that use panels or committees to move towards that model because that is going to be the the kind of new uh, policy. Okay. And by the way, what we're talking about is universities complying with Title IX education department standards so that they don't get in hot water when they violate those standards. Okay. And then there could be civil liability as a result of that. So the other change is the university will have an option to increase the cha- the standard of proof from preponderance of evidence to clear and convincing evidence. Now the truth of the matter is is that most likely most likely you know I think most universities are going to keep it at the lower standard because it just it it shows greater greater concern and and caring for the the accuser. But they could go to a clearing and clear and convincing evidence. And, and for those out there that don't know the difference between clear and convincing and preponderance of evidence, don't feel bad because a lot of lawyers don't know the difference either. Um, it is a higher standard. If, if you look at our tiered system of burden and standard of proof, there is at the bottom end preponderance of the evidence. And then there's clear and convincing, which is higher than preponderance, but lower than beyond a reasonable doubt, which is at the top. So. We've talked about the, the, the option for a higher level of, of, of standard of proof. Now, that being said, um, I want to go back to this whole cross-examination model of, of what's going to be allowed under the new model if it gets, if it gets, if it gets initiated or, or, or passed. Um, you will actually have a right to discovery. You'll be able to send questions, get answers. You'll have to answer some questions, whereas before you don't really have a right. The old regime thought it was traumatic and intimidating to to be able to cross-examine an accuser, which flies in the face, of course, of criminal justice, where we have a confrontation clause, where we have the right to confront our accuser, to, to, to measure, to weigh, to test their credibility, okay? The new system will allow for this give and take questioning, which, by the way, there had been at least one U.S. appeals court 
that said that University of Cincinnati failed to give proper rights by not allowing this. So this is kind of the direction that I think some some case law is going to be going anyway. Okay, the other changes. Location. It has to be a campus property or it will have to be a campus property or a school-sanctioned event. So it's not going to be this omnibus everywhere, okay? Um, the new policy will narrow the definition of sexual harassment. The new definition will be unwelcome conduct on the basis of sex that is so severe, pervasive, and objectively offensive that it denies a person access to the school's education program or activity. Think about how broad that is. Well, what they're saying is if the the perpetrator uh, assaults the victim, she has to be or he has to be so distraught that they can't go sit in the same class. They can't be in the same building. They can't uh, live in the same dorms, et cetera. So that's that's pretty broad and a tad hard to prove, if if you ask me. That is a very high standard. Um the the language that that I'm really honing in on so severe, pervasive, and objectively offensive that it denies a person access to the school's education program or activity. Now, how might this rear its head? I have a class with someone. That person sexually assaults me, and I still have class with them. So so the access to education becomes a problem in so much as I may live in the same dorm, I may have the same classes, the same instructors, or if the instructor or coach is the accused, it's it that is where that access to education problem really rears its head. Now, moving on down the 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 changes to the model, one of the changes is going to be the reporting requirements. Whereas everybody in the university is a mandatory reporter, if they get told something in confidence, they have to report it. The draft rule will also require that Title IX complaints be filed with individuals who, and I quote have the authority to institute corrective measures. So whereas a trusted relationship with a RA or a coach where you confide in them may not rise to that level. Now, what I think will happen, though, is there will still be this mindset of mandatory reporting because, you know, it seems like the the right thing to do. And, and the university has to have, quote unquote, actual knowledge of the sexual assault. Now, where it can get into hot water as a university under the new model is if, if, they, if there is a, quote, deliberate indifference, okay, they knew about it and they just didn't really care. It means that an institution is found in violation of a law only if it, it, its response to the sexual harassment is clearly unreasonable in light of the known circumstances. If they had actual knowledge and in light of the circumstances, their response to that, their, their model is unreasonable, then that creates a deliberate indifference issue, which there can be civil liability. Now, the the big change, Richard, and I, and I know I'm going on on this, the big change is it creates a balance. It creates a movement towards a balance to where the accused has more rights, okay, and the accuser has to be subject to more due process effects based on those rights. Now, one of the wonderful changes that I actually do very much support and like is the new rules also say that the government will not penalize schools if they provide supportive measures to victims who choose to forego filing a written complaint. And this may include um, possibly mutually stipulated agreements, uh, mediation, uh, counseling, um, deadline extensions, um, changing of class schedules, escort services from from 
classes. Basically, there is a model of let's try to work this out. Now, remember, the old model, Richard, was you, the victim doesn't get a say in this. Okay. And so now universities will not be penalized that they set up m- mediation models where both sides can kind of sit down you know, far and in a safe distance, but can sit down at a relatively same table and try to work it out. So, you know, look, the, the, there's two extremes of this. And if you read the media, you know, some folks are saying that this, you know, and, and the criminal defense attorney in me likes due process. I'm just used to it. I'm used to, I mean, I don't always like how that due process shakes out, but I'm used to it in the criminal justice system. So when I represent people on title nine violations, it's hard for me to, to embrace this wild, wild west model while at the same time, acknowledging that these sexual assault victims are college students. Well, and there's also a certain amount of due process that people are afforded in administrative law situations. And this is very much one of those situations. Now, in the past, when an accuser uh, uh, brought a claim against someone, as we've seen, there there wasn't a lot of due process. And it puts us in, a, in an awkward situation to say, well... Okay, if we want to believe the accuser, and honestly, we should listen to every accusation and and weigh it thoroughly. But if we want to believe the accuser, then we're putting that accused, that defendant in a corner where under these administrative law rules of the past, he had no due process. He or she had no way to really defend themselves against the claims, at least now at least now, if we have some mechanisms for discovery or cross-examination, at least there can be a discussion. Now, I, I don't think that an alleged victim should be sitting across the table from an alleged perpetrator having that perpetrator grill her with questions. I, I it it with has to be done through some sort of advocate system. I, I think what this new system, if it passes, and, and look, the question becomes, is this new is, is this a new model? If you believe some, this new model creates a fair system. And if you believe others, this is a model that will allow sexual assault and rape to be skirted under the rug. That, well, it, that is the belief of, of one side versus the other. Sure. And a- anytime somebody's side is, is getting their feet stepped on a little bit, they, they wave the yeah. giant flag. But in this case, it seems to me the only way anything gets, quote, skirted under the table is if... Like you discussed, the the two parties come together in some sort of mediation and, quote, work it out. Now, I know we're talking about sexual assault and rape, and many people will say you just don't work that out. Um, but if the two parties come together and, and come to some sort of agreement and the issue just sort of goes away, then that's – is that really being skirted under the table? I mean, I don't know. It's it's a pickle. And, and, and what you – Look, let's let's give an example of of the extreme horror story under the old policy. Um, Do you remember, Richard, there was a Rose Bowl kicker? Uh, I do. Okay, that Southern Cal or Uh, USC? Yeah, Yeah. I think it was Southern Cal. And and his story is horrifying. He's accused. And by the way, these there's no there's no statute of limitations. There's no prescriptive period, which is what we call in Louisiana. These can be latent reporting, you know, 
before someone graduates years year of an incident that happened years prior um you know if someone's running for student government president and three years ago something happened they can report these whenever and at southern cal there was a kicker um that was found guilty of a violation despite the fact that his girlfriend said it never happened she got no say in it um it was weeks before graduation that the, the young man was suspended. He was barred from campus. He was barred from contacting his own girlfriend. To be clear, the girlfriend is the one who initially raised the complaint. And then... No, no. I think an observer... Oh, an observer raised, raised the complaint. So, but the girlfriend was the alleged victim. That is the, That's right. That is the big, big, big scary part about the old regime, the current regime. I say old. It's the current regime. Is I can observe something. I can turn it in. And remember, the accuser, the person that reports it, doesn't get a lot of say in it. And the victim doesn't get a lot of say in how it plays out. Because these universities are terrified of what happens if they don't afford these these Title IX you know, protections. Which is a to some degree is a good thing. You know, if someone's raped, we want them protected. Exactly. So but what happened in this instance was the girlfriend and, and him may have gotten into an argument. You know, somebody saw it. And basically, she's the victim of the alleged sexual assault. She's saying it's not that big of a deal. It was blown out of proportions. He's saying it wasn't assault. He can't go around her, by the way, anymore. You know, so so that's the extreme scary situation. The other side of the coin is the college sophomore who who takes a a situation way too far and rapes somebody. Mm-hmm. And he or she believes that it was consensual, and the other party says it wasn't consensual. And now you have a he said, she said, which we're seeing that play out on a national forum right now, where maybe there's not corroborative evidence that could support the credibility of either party beyond beyond it happened versus it didn't happen. And by the way, it's a preponderance of evidence threshold, and there's no real due process rights. And so how do we test the credibility? We test the credibility of people by questioning them. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that. And by the way, questioning them doesn't mean cross-examining them, but it, it's getting data because without data, you can't weigh truth. So for example, I was at the party on this day and, and Timmy was at the party on this day. We would look to see if, if Timmy has any kind of evidence that would show he wasn't at the party. And look, as a defense attorney, I've represented the individual that was accused of a sex act um, at a high school graduation, and we factually were able to prove that he was out of the state at the high school graduation party. Um, it was a high school graduation party that he was accused of of, of, of essentially molesting or, or sexually assaulting someone. And we were able to show based on credit card records that he was out of the state. On the one hand, we had a victim that was adamant that it happened at this party. On the other hand, we have proof that shows no he could not physically have been at, at the party. So that's that is the beautiful mechanism of due process is you can you can challenge uh, allegations. And so, look, the point is, this is where we are. We have a, a proposed system that's going to allow for mediation. We're going to have a, a proposed system where both sides get a little bit more, quote unquote, fairness. We have a proposed system that modifies who has to report. Um, it restricts the definition of sexual assault or sexual harassment. It changes the locations of where these incidents could happen. And, you know, for better or for worse, that is on the table right now. Um, 
It's playing out in a Me Too environment. It's playing out when uh, the recording of this episode, which which you know we're, we try to do these episodes as as close to real time as we can. But the recording of this, it's playing out in a in a Kavanaugh environment of Dr. Ford says one thing and Kavanaugh says another thing, and we're learning. Sweatnik is yeah, in there too. Yeah, and we're, and we're learning. Everybody's becoming an expert on human lie detection. Um, it, it's just it's an interesting issue. Now look. For those of us who defend Title IX allegations, the good thing about this is it creates a more it's it's a more equal playing ground for those folks that are 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 accused of doing things that deserve under the rest of the law a fair quote unquote shake. Now, if if you're a sexual assault victim, I I if I put my 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 myself in your shoes, I realize you probably don't give give to to. You can say it. Two shits about due <laughs> it's process. A podcast. Yeah, I, I would imagine you don't get you don't care about due process. This person sexually assaulted me, right? And I don't I don't care if they get a fair shake or not. They didn't give me a fair shake. I get it. I understand that. We both understand that. But I will tell you though, when you have a system that accuses but doesn't allow the accused certain rights that we otherwise consider inalienable in the United States Constitution. You're not really looking for fairness. You're not really looking. It's not an expedition of what really happened. You're looking to just protect yourself as a university. And we've seen that play out in horrible ways. The Duke lacrosse team that were accused of horrible acts. And by the way, the victims later were shown not to be truthful. You know, you can't undo that. That bell can't be unrung. And if many, many guys lost promising careers, promising educational opportunities, and, and we're we're just shamed publicly because of that. So this is as of, and I'll throw the date out here as of October 2nd, this is the landscape of where we are. Betsy DeVoe is, is proposed these changes. You guys can search them online there. There it's a memo essentially of the new title nine changes. Um, you know, the university will have the right to give more protections if it wants to, but you know, at the end of the day, these proposed changes are going to change the landscape, both in a criminal justice forum in terms of how these shake out in the criminal arena, as well as as how they shake out at the university. These changes are going to affect the landscape in a way that the Obama administration policies currently, you know, were set into place. So I'm very, very intrigued to see if these changes are enacted. They're politically, to me, they're politically dangerous for whoever has enacted them because you do come across as insensitive to, and to, to sexual assault victims. And, you know, it, it, it's a, it's a hand grenade, but maybe it's a good thing. Maybe being allowed to work things out in situations that are not the worst of the worst situations, but they being able to work things out where the victim of the, of the alleged sexual assault and the accused can come to a mutual understanding and agreement that does not necessarily trample on the due process rights that 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 you should have that that at least one circuit court has said that you should have to to confront your accusers. So that is Title IX. This is where it sits right now. Um, as someone that's defended Title IX cases in a university town, I can tell you that that I'm 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 
cautiously optimistic of, of these new rights that my clients will, will have, while at the same time wondering if these really are going to pass. So we're all going to keep an eye on it, and we're going to let you know if there's any changes in future episodes. But that's about it for this Title IX episode of Legally Unfiltered. Um, Title IX, for those, again, are it's the access to education. Um, if you do a Google search on, on DeVoe and, and Title IX changes, you're going to find all the, the law that we've been talking about, and I would encourage you to read it. This is Attorney Franz Borchardt. I'm here with Attorney Richard Sprinkle, and have a great day. The views and opinions expressed in Legally Unfiltered do not constitute legal advice. If you would like legal advice on the topics that we've discussed, send us money. That's right. Go ahead and retain us. Do not, kids, try this at home.